0: As you're grabbing your seat, give a wave to somebody nearby. Don't touch them, simply say hello from a distance. If you're joining us online, we welcome you into the space we share together. We're recording this on a Saturday night here in North Lakes, but I know many of you will tune in at other times, and the wonderful thing about God's Word is it's relevant whenever it is that we pick it up and engage with it. I'm going to switch mics now, guys, and put this one down. so if you're new here we've been in this series called come together over the last few weeks and we're continuing in that this evening and it's been wonderful and it's been an acknowledgement that in part Uh, we are living through this season where coming together has been challenged. It's challenging all the time, but it's particularly challenging in this COVID season, isn't it? Like the the scattering that's been going on, the social isolation is not just social. We have had emotional isolation in some cases, even spiritual isolation, as we've struggled with this idea of uh, keeping fear out of our existence and continuing to move forward and believe that Jesus is Lord of all, as we've just sung about. And this challenge to our level of connection isn't an axis thing. It's a worldwide thing. It's happening everywhere. Churches all around the globe are feeling the pinch and the scattering is common. And we need to work on staying connected. And I'm not talking here about hugging each other. I'm talking about in our hearts, staying together, united as God's family. If we're not deliberate about that connection, it won't happen. The social distance has pushed us apart and we need to be deliberate about staying together. Our sense of family will be obliterated through this time. Now, intimacy, as is not a new challenge, it's always been a challenge. And we've been looking in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two and particularly verse 42 there and seeing the devotion of the early church and being inspired by their model. We've said we can't copy what they did because they lived in a different time and a different society to what we have now going on. We can't replicate their lifestyle, but we can be inspired We can be inspired by their model, and we ought to be inspired by their model, particularly their devotion. Now one of the differences we've talked about in recent weeks is the kind of communal or even tribal way of thinking that was existent perhaps decades ago or or centuries ago that's certainly been rendered yesterday in our culture now. So take example the insight of Max Strauss as he explains a typical household in New Testament times. He says, Residences usually included parents children, grandparents, often aunts and uncles. Wealthy households would even include slaves. You know what that means? A typical household would have 30 plus people in it. And so the question for them was never, are you in community? The question was, are you doing community well? But, but we've, our question's different. Our question is, are you in community? Are you staying together with others? But their questions were far different. And we can't wind back the clock and kind of adopt a a tribal mindset unless you're willing to invite 30 people to begin living with you. But we've seen models of that child and it hasn't always gone well. It's just important that we note the gap between us and them. It's a starting point, not the ending point. But it's important to note that we have a different challenge to them. The thing that frustrates me, I guess, as part of the church family, and it's in my life, I'm not directing the frustration at anyone else, but often we feel time poor. We only have 168 hours in the week, and out of those, there's actually only one or two that are white space. If you're living a a regular life in family and so on, you you find that most of your week is filled up. And, And so your opportunity to connect is actually very, very small. When it comes to church connection, we have this five or ten minutes before and after church, but the frustration is that sometimes we waste that, that tiny little opportunity. We have that small window. We just waste it. We just talk about surface level things and never enter into the deeper conversations of the heart and how you're really going. That's the issue. We need to be deliberate about Connecting. Now, some of you might say, "Well, I don't really want to mingle, John. O. I mean, I'm an introvert. I have social anxiety. This is all challenging for me. I understand that. Believe me, I understand it." Others might push back and say, "I've tried. I've offered up my heart time and time again, and it hasn't been appreciated. Or worse still, it's been gossiped about and dishonoured. And if that's your experience, I'm really sorry." That is not what the church of God is supposed to be about. God's dream is that we be a connected family. But let me also add that it would be living in fantasy land to say we'll ever get to the point where we never have any problems anymore, where everybody is always lovely and never a nasty word is spoken. That's just not reality. We have diverse points of view. We have Um, challenges in living together and the only stories that are finishing with happily ever after at the end are fairy tales. We're not living in a fairy tale. This whole idea of living together in community will be an ongoing challenge. This side of eternity as we battle with our fallen human nature, we will have a challenge. So as we think about unity this weekend, let's first talk about what it is and what it isn't. Unity isn't necessarily the absence of problems. It's the capacity to address them. Let me say that again. Unity isn't the absence of problems. It's the capacity to address them, to resolve them, to talk them through. A couple of weeks ago, we were considering the Lord's Prayer and there's a line in there that says, forgive us as we forgive those who sin." against us. Did you notice Seen in the Bible forgiveness is assumed? What does this tell us? That we are going to rub up against each other the wrong way, that we are going to have to extend forgiveness towards one another. If that hasn't happened to you today yet, buckle up. It might happen before you get to the car park. This is the challenge of working in community. We're not living a fairy tale. The issue isn't if an offence ever arises, it's when it arises because it will. You might be justifiably hurt today, you might even be justifiably angry with some things that have happened to you. Unity then is the process of working through those things, of not ignoring them, of not pretending they don't exist, but, but actually deciding to work through. God's word has some great wisdom for us here, a beautiful picture actually, I wanna to read to you from Psalm 133. And it talks about the vision God has for his church operating in unity. Let's read it together. Psalm 133 says "Is How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It's as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows, and the King James Version will say, commands, in unity God commands his blessing, even life forevermore. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. Unity is pleasant. This is the first thing we note from this scripture here. Unity is pleasant. Who's it pleasant to? Well, I think the fact that no names are mentioned means everybody's in. It's pleasant to everybody. Unity is a joy to everyone. It's pleasing when humans are at peace. But beyond our own pleasantries, it's pleasant apparently to the Father. God rejoices when his family is united. Unity is pleasing in the sight of God. Our Heavenly Father loves it. You don't even have to go to your heavenly father to work this out. Any earthly parent understands this dynamic. There's nothing more annoying, frustrating to an earthly parent than their kids fighting. I mean, he took my toy. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. He knocked over the blocks of the house I was building. I did not. You did it yourself. He hit me. Well, he hit me first. And the parent yells out, don't they, down the hallway, I don't care who started it, would you just stop it? Would you just stop it? Because every human parent is frustrated when the kids don't get along, when they're not at peace. Doesn't our Heavenly Father have the same experience? On the other hand, unity is pleasant to us as well. When you're in a room where there's unity, it's like the atmosphere is electric. It's just a wonderful thing to be in a team where everyone's working in one accord. It's pleasing. It fosters our emotional well-being when we are in unity. Us humans work best in a creative atmosphere where everyone's in in a unity, in a unified state. Author of The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, Stephen Stephen Covey, not COVID, Covey, says this, uh, one of these habits of, of highly effective people, he says, is when it comes to disagreement or arguments or issues, they aim for win-win, win-win. He said you, you don't want a winner and a loser because if you're in an argument and you actually win at the expense of somebody else, then you've actually lost more than you've gained. Because he says if by winning the argument, you actually lose a relationship, you haven't actually profited much at all. While this sounds a bit lofty and impractical maybe, he's saying this I think, unity matters. Unity matters and it matters more than pushing your own way through. Sure there's times where we get our own way, you know, the colour of the carpet is blue instead of green and that's what we wanted. You stood up in the meeting, you swayed everybody to your point of view. But if in that process you've actually got six people that don't want to ever talk to you again, I suggest the colour of the carpet wasn't worth it. You haven't actually won. Some of you may be aware, we've just appointed a new board in the church, one of your few meetings in, and I've said to that board, even repeatedly in the short space of time that we've been meeting together, let's aim for unity over majority. Let's aim for unity. It's not enough for me that four people are in favour if three are against. I've learned over time to take this hesitation of church leaders seriously. We want to operate in unity and not just majority. I get it. When you're in a large meeting we you've got 100 plus people present, you can't check in with everybody's point of view. I mean, it becomes impossible to be personal at that point in time. There's some occasions where majority must rule, but I think overall our our great picture ought to be unity, not just majority. Now, if you have a meeting of over 100 people and you're trying to check in with everybody, of course you'd be there all day. And if you're at our last AGM, we had a fair crack <laughs> at that. But there's certain situations where majority must rule, but overall let's be people that aim for unity and honour one another and slow down enough to take note of the people in the room and that are lacking peace, and hear them out as to the reasons why. This is a good check for a task-focused uh, task person like me. Unity is pleasant to God and pleasant to us. So you say, well, every church would just operate there, right? Uh, wrong. While unity is pleasant, unity is problematic Unity is problematic. I'm not sure how well you understand the honesty of the Bible, but it's there. Unity is problematic. The scriptures are brutally honest when it comes to this. And I love the fact that the Bible is real. It's one of the things that that inspires me so much about the Bible. Nothing is covered up. It's all there. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You can find it all in your scriptures. And it makes no promises about unity being easy. It's pleasant, but it's not easy. We're dealing with people with different backgrounds and beliefs and passions and convictions and perspectives and expectations and understandings. Yeah, pleasant, but problematic. Hard to get there. The Bible shows us this over and over and over again. As you read through the New Testament, you find these examples down through history of, of churches that were having such a struggle to keep unity. And I started by reminding you of the wonderful model of the Acts 2 church. But just remember, by Acts chapter 5, that wonderful model had been demolished. There was, there was no unity to speak of by the time chapter 5 had come around. Rip-roaring conflict had sprung up. Their utopia doesn't last long. Just uh, turn over the page and you find a church that's lost it's unity. Now I'm skipping to a few different contexts now to provide you a wide angle view on the Bible. In Philippi, the church in Philippians, we find two members corrected for bluing with each other in James. There's mention of quarrels and conflicts going on in the church. Paul and Barnabas, two church leaders, have such a heated argument. They go their separate ways and don't talk again. The church at Galatia was reprimanded for devouring one another. And the Church of Corinth, well, if you know anything about that, what can we say? It's just a basket case. There's, there's egos and pride and all sorts of things ruling the show there. They're just hopelessly divided. So what would we be surprised when we find out, wow, this unity thing is problematic. It's actually hard to get along all the time. We rub each other up the wrong way. All we'd be surprised when God has so clearly articulated in his word and given us dozens of examples of people struggling with this. It should be kind of a hint, I think. Hey, Axis, you'll have to walk a similar road. This This walking together, doing life together is not going to be a walk in the park necessarily. When we read our scriptures, we need to put ourselves among the characters, not above the characters. It's not like, well, that was what it was like for them back then, but for us, you know, we're we're kind of beyond that, are we? Get serious. We should expect the same. Hey, Axis, we won't always see eye to eye. Getting along is not automatic. You'll have to work at it. Unity can't be assumed. It'll take great effort. You say, well, Jono, thanks, but no thanks. You're just naming the problem. You're not doing anything to resolve our problems. You're not helping. You're not providing us with any solutions. What can we do about it? Not just what is our problem, but what can we actually do? How can we come together and move forward as a church? You're going to laugh at the simplicity of this next point, but it's relevant. When it comes to promoting a peaceful church culture, I've got to focus on me. You're going to focus on you. When it comes to us finding unity, we've got to own our part of the pie. Here's why. Sometimes what I don't own about myself ends up owning me. You know how Billy is relationally prickly? Everybody else can see his issues except him. What we don't own in ourselves will end up owning us. Sometimes when we're being bruised from relational interaction, we focus entirely on what that person did to me instead of what was my part in all of that. What did I do that contributed to the problem? If we miss that, we miss growth. Because what I don't own about myself ends up owning me. These blind spots have our lives in bondage. It's a bit like everybody else can smell it except us we go from this perpetual cycle of wound to wound or relationship to relationship or dare I say church to church when it comes to fault-finding we're really really good at pointing out we're not so good at pointing in and saying Lord it's me Lord it's me We judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by their behaviour. We have two sets of rules going on there, one for me and one for them. And Jesus has warned us of this 2,000 years ago when it comes to processing issues. He says, when it comes to your own stuff, Jono, you have glasses on that are really, really scratchy, like you don't see very clearly through them at all. I mean, a lot gets passed when it comes to yourself. There's not a lot of clarity there. An awful lot gets missed. You only see a blip of the true reality when it comes to yourself. But when it comes to everybody else, it's like you've got laser vision. You're an eagle eye. You don't miss a thing. You, your clarity then when it comes to everybody else is like 110% accurate. Your internal glasses, they don't work very well. Your external glasses, they work really well. You can find faults everywhere else but in yourself. You can spot a fault from a mile away. But close to home, a ton gets overlooked. If you know the scriptures, you might notice Jesus mentioned this to us, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 7, he talks about this beam we've got coming out of our own eye, and we have our Tweezers out, don't we? We have our tweezers out saying to our people in our circle, hey, I, I can help you. I think I spot a fault over there. Come come a bit closer and let me let me help you sort out that issue. And all the while we're knocking people over along the way with this big fault that we've got going on. Jesus says, Matthew 7, the standard you use in judging is the standard by which she'll be judged, it's gonna get heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and our issues, they get heavy, don't they? <clears throat> I'll change sides. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own? Get rid of that log in your own eye, that big plank that's sticking out, that's obvious from a million miles away. Get rid of that, work on that, and then you'll see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. I don't know about you, I find this thoroughly depressing. (laughs) Thoroughly depressing. The language by Jesus here isn't very encouraging. I mean, how many splinters does it take to make up this plank? Lots and lots and lots. And here I am worrying about my brother when I've got the ton of things here that I've got to be working on. There's a lot of splinters in this thing, a lot of splinters. And Jesus says, "Hey, hey work on work on this. Work on this. Why is that depressing for me? Cuz I want to know. Okay, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but when will I be qualified? To, to, to get the tweezers out and help my brother with his splinter. Because I've got to tell you, some of his personality traits are really starting to tick me off. He's got a splinter there that I need to get the tweezers in and, and sort out. And you get why well, I'm depressed. I think Jesus is trying to tell me, John, you'll be working on this for the rest of your life. Ah. I think a perspective change might be needed here. My growth development is never what they said and what they did. My growth development is always, what did my response contribute to the situation? What was my part? What do I need to adjust in order to make this situation better? Where is my attitude out of order and grieving the Spirit of God. How am I failing to be loving and kind and patient? And these words of Jesus about the plank in our own eye ought to have us all a bit gun-shy, I reckon. About pointing a finger at anybody else. I think if it triggers anything, it ought to trigger a deep humility. A deep humility where I'm constantly looking at my own life and going, Lord, it's me. Lord, it's me, change me. Give me more grace. Give me more kindness. Give me more fruit of the spirit. Let let your spirit change me. What about me needs to change? It's a posture, isn't it? Because there's a human disposition we have that we think will stay with us to to our grave, that we are really, really good at spotting splinters and we are not so good at noticing this big plank, right? here. An overwhelming tendency that I have, and you have, is that I overplay your role in a problem. I underplay my role in a problem. This is what Jesus is alerting us to here. Bring the magnifying glass closer to home, John. Unity is tough, but without embracing this level of humility, it will just be a dream. We'll never, we'll never even get close. It's an illusion we dream of. We must swallow our pride. We must get past our discomfort. We must look at our own selves in the mirror and make sacrifices to change and even continue to engage with people we'd rather not. This week I got a call from someone, and I really appreciated it. Maybe I'm not seeing it right. Help me understand the situation this person said and we had a chat. And we understood each other far better at the end of that call. But, but they, the, what I appreciated was the humility to start the conversation with, maybe I'm not seeing this right. Help me understand. Help me understand. What a great place to start a conversation. Help me understand. Help me see this better. Help me understand your point of view. Great self-awareness. And unity resulted, because we talked it through, was so worth it. Unity is pleasant. Unity is problematic. Unity is worth persisting with. Don't miss the promise of Psalm 133. There's a blessing attached. The Lord pours out a blessing in unity. If we can move to the next slide. Unity is worth our persistence. Pun intended, unity is worth the fight. Unity is worth the fight. Continue to persist and go after unity. And here's why, because God is the author of Christian unity. It doesn't belong to us. Ultimately, it's not about us feeling warm and fuzzy. It's not about us feeling like a nice, happy family. It's actually God who's called us together as his family and unity belongs to him. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how well Kyle and Matt get along, in terms of their personality types, they may not. Doesn't matter whether Carly likes Callie's dress sense, thinks she's really fashionable and lovely, she may not. Doesn't matter if you enjoy Nate's long-winded stories, you probably won't. But these trivial things are not unity. We must go beyond that. It's vital because we represent the name of Christ. It's pleasant to God. It's pleasant to us. Unity is pleasant to the world as well. It deserves our persistence. One of the biggest turnoffs for people outside the walls of a church is to hear stories from inside the walls of people fighting and blowing with one another. It, it destroys the testimony of God's church. Jesus didn't say that They'll know we are his followers by our scriptural knowledge, by how many memory verses we've got in the bank. He didn't say they'd know we are Christians by our flawless church attendance. So I haven't missed church for six months. Jesus didn't even say a sparkling facility would do it. It's not like the extensions we're planning on either side of the building are all of a sudden going to get the attention of the community they're going to go, wow, I want some of that. No, 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 that, that, they won't do Let's not put faith in those things. Jesus says they'll know we're his true followers by our love, by our capacity to be kind and thoughtful and honouring of each other, by, by our community operating with a peculiar level of unity. I suppose many of you are saying, do you know, that's not news actually. To hear a fighting church is a turn off to a watching world. I don't think I need to write that point down. I kind of already knew it. That's like the sky's blue, thank you very much. Didn't come to hear this. The issue isn't, is unity good and pleasant, and we know it's hard even. It's what to do when we've kind of lost it a little. I mean, it's not really helpful to hear a unity talk when you're already not talking at all to a person on the other side of the room. What do we do with our differences when we don't agree? What do we do with our frustrations? Let's return to our opening thought. Unity isn't necessarily the absence of problems, it's the capacity to address them. It's the capacity to address them. Having a capacity to address issues means not sweeping them under the carpet, but actually going and having that deliberate and delicate conversation. And like I just mentioned a moment ago, help me understand. Help me see things better. I'm I'm not getting what's going on here. We go with the I language. Not you hurt me, but I felt hurt when such and such happened. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago to go and talk the person who hurt us. Go directly to them. However, this is the gold standard that many of us struggle to reach. We kind of think, oh, I'll just overlook that, I'll just it's not a big deal, I'll just overlook it, I'll just overlook it, I'll just overlook it. But ultimately our heart, those frustrations bubble up over time, the kettle boils, and we start leaking, don't we? We start leaking. When we don't go and talk to the person, we leak on others. And it's not pretty. And we might think that we'll, we'll just grow to the point where we'll never leak. <laughs> I doubt it. So I wanna lead you to a practical place as we land this plane. We need to know what to do with our hurt feelings. Don't just ignore them. The likelihood that they're going to disappear through ignorance. It's pretty unlikely. You're only fooling yourself, and leaking onto others and spreading a negative spirit is not going to do any good. So what do we do? How do we stop the leak? Because know this, this is for sure, a wounded heart equates to a wagging tongue. It just does. A heart wounding equates to a tongue wagging. If your heart is genuinely wounded, you're going to talk. You're going to talk somewhere to someone. And Jesus said, you should talk. Please do talk. Just take your offence. Take your hurt. Take the issue to the right person, the person involved that you need to talk to. If you're offended with Pete, it's Pete you need to talk to, not Jerry. And if your name's Jerry, when he's talking to you about Pete, you're going to point to the name badge and go, hey, I think you've got me confused with somebody else. I'm not Jerry. I think you're supposed to be talking to him because the Bible warns us about the gravity of the situation. When we take our tongues and speak words against others, we're cooperating with the dark side. This is serious. This is serious. Our tongues can be set on fire by hell, the Bible says. This is a big deal. When we speak words against one another, it should spook us to, 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 to never wanna carry our conflict sideways. We need to go direct to the source of the hurt because our tongues can be set on fire by the course of hell. But know this, a heart wounding gets the tongue wagging. So what are you gonna do with that? The call of Jesus is to take that wagging tongue away from gossip, and take it to the source that you need to deal with the issue with. I realise this is absolutely foreign to our modern culture, and many of us aren't one step away from this. We're many, many steps away from having the skill to be able to go and have that conversation. So I'm gonna give you an out this weekend. I'm going to give you a practical step that you can work towards getting better at developing the skill of going to the person and talking to them instead of talking about them. And in giving you this step, I'm not giving you an excuse. I'm not trying to say, forget what Jesus says, do this instead. No, no, no. this practical step is to help you grow the skill towards learning to do what Jesus said. Here it is. So here's what happens when we normally get a hurt if I can draw the people in our lives in this circle. So here's here's human beings around us that we're doing life with, whether this is at school, whether this is at work, whether this is in our sporting clubs, whether this is in our church, wherever it may be. We have these people all around us that we're doing life with. Some have bigger heads than others, as you can see, not very good drawing. and so on it goes. And we think, sometimes when we've got a hurt or we're ticked off with somebody, we think, well, I won't tell, sorry if you're in a place where you can't see it. We think, I'll just tell one other person, right? I'll just tell them, just one other person, because I need to get this off my chest. You know what inevitably happens is that one person tells one other person. You can already guess where this is going, can't you? That word in person, I think, oh, this is pretty private information. I'll just tell one other person. And then as the Chinese whispers get around, oh, this is, this is, don't tell everybody. And so you sort of get the confidentiality nature of it, but you just tell that one other person. Everybody thinks they've only told one person, but all of a sudden it's spread all around the community and it's messed everything up. Everybody in the circle gets coloured. This is why the Bible says it sets on fire. The desires of hell. This is what the enemy wants. He wants us all tainted, fighting, hating one another, speaking against one another, and damaging, poisoning this circle. You think I only told one person. But they tell one person, they tell one person, they want, and on it goes. What do we do? Well, we've got the gold standard from Jesus. Go and talk to the person that you have the issue with. Here's your practical step. If you're a mile away from that, if you can't even relate to that at all and this is your everyday life, you're just used to grumbling to the person and taking conflict sideways all the time, here's a growth step. Go to someone outside the circle, a person over here, and talk to them. Why do you go outside the circle? Because they're not connected to this person preferably they don't even know this person's name that you're talking about and you go to them and why do you go to them to vent no you go to them to be coached you go to them to be to 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 practice and rehearse and work through what you're going to say in order to come back a few really really core factors when it comes to coming over here, outside your circle. You go outside the known circle. This person can't know the person that you're referring to or else their relationship gets affected by it. And the hurt that you're carrying, they begin to carry on your behalf. We're humans, we're connected. This is why this is so important. This is why Jesus says go to the one person because he doesn't want us to be all influenced by sideways conflict. So we go outside the known circle. We go to a godly person, a wise person, a person that's going to challenge us and not just go, oh, I can't believe they've done it to you. You're such, you're such a poor person. I feel so sorry for you. No, don't go to that type of person. Go to someone who's going to challenge you. Go to a godly person. And one other key factor, and it's the most important factor, only go in order to come back. Only go here in order to come back here and deal with your circle. Otherwise, you're disobeying Jesus. He told us to go to the person that's hurt us and have the conversation. And this is just a step in the process of doing that. I'm not trying to move you away from the words of Jesus. I'm trying to actually give you a stepping stone towards it. Go outside your circle. Go to somebody who knows nothing of this person and the relationship won't be affected by it. Go to a godly person who's gonna challenge you and say, what was your part in this? What could have you done better? What's your growth opportunity here? That's the sort of feedback that you need. And go only in order to come back. Only in order to come back. We're gonna move into communion. In just a moment and so I invite you to um, grab your cup and bread and it's all rolled into one in this season isn't it and I just want to give you an opportunity to come before the Lord before we take this and lay down our hurts it's what the cross is all about We're not supposed to carry our hurts around. And there's people we've hurt and there's people that have hurt us. Why don't you take this quiet moment just to lay those things down where you need to ask forgiveness of God and where you need to ask forgiveness of them. Determine now in this moment to do that. before we take of this communion. Lay it down. Lay it down at the cross. And be reconciled in these moments. Lay down the hurts of the sins committed against you and ask for forgiveness for those times that you have been out of step with God. Lord God, you don't want us hurting one another. And we repent of the times we have where we've spoken out of turn, where we've said things of others that were not in alignment with you. We turn away from that in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask your forgiveness, Lord. And for those wounds that we carry, In these moments, we just lay them down, Lord. We ask again for your healing, for the touch of God to come to us. Holy Spirit, come in this moment right now and begin a healing work as we lay them down. Give them over to you. They're too heavy for us to carry. we thank you for your amazing grace that reaches every one of us. In our hands we carry the bread representing your body and the cup representing your blood. We join together to give thanks for your death which shows us how valuable we are to you. We receive these gifts today in view of that.